0: This, this, this show is brought to you
1: by Safety FM. The countdown has begun. Find out only
0: on Safety FM.
1: This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Arrow the next generation error reduction and mitigation system. For more information, go to arrowhp.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Hopefully you are off to a fantastic week. You had a lovely time during Thanksgiving and you are not too stuffed to be able to do anything else besides, you know, the things that you need to do. Anyways, things are going great here at Safety FM, as I normally like to tell you and share with you, because you normally ask, so I want to share the information with you. And yes, questions have come about, about what is the countdown that was posted on our social media? Well, all I can say is the countdown has begun, and I guess you'll find out <laughs> as time goes about. Anyways, Today, we have the joyous occasion of speaking to someone I've never spoken with before. And this gentleman's name is Douglas J. Hill. Now, he is a line worker, so I do want to share some of this information with you. Douglas has worked in the utility industry for the past 30 years plus as an electric line worker with extensive experience in transmission and distribution systems at Consumer Energy. He has a bachelor's degree from the Northwood University in Business and has spent the last nine years being involved in the safety culture in many capacities, such as co-chair of safety teams and incident investigation teams, as well as a full-time instructor and electric representative for the Michigan State Utility Workers Council for the last four years. So I want you to take a listen to this conversation that I have with Douglas here today. He does talk a lot about safety too and hop and how he was able to integrate this into the line of work that he's doing. So enjoy the interview here today on safety FM.
0: Enjoy some of your favorite hosts in the safety world. Enjoy shows by Sheldon Primus, Blaine J. Hoffman, Jill James, Mike Sedham, Rob Fisher, Todd Conklin, and Jay Allen. I I don't, I guess I was too dumb to be afraid. I don't know if that was with what the words you should say, but I just, I really enjoyed that trade watching all the camaraderie and, and the way that the business was taught. I liked the detail of the business. It just intrigued me a lot. It's kind of like uh, why do fighter pilots like flying jets? You know, it's, a, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. You just, I, I think I built that, just watching them work and seeing how they interacted with each other.
1: But how did you find out the information about the lineman stuff? I mean, I guess that's really where, to me, the journey starts.
0: I think that as we were tree trimmers, obviously we worked hand in hand with the linemen all the time in storm situations and just watching them as a tree trimmer and just admiring, like I said, the fact that that, that was such a skilled trade and it that that's what really turned me on to it was the, the the trade itself and and the brotherhood that was built around the trade so as you're going through
1: the trade and you're learning the trade how a does this whole thing with human and organizational performance present itself to you how do you hear about it how does it come about
0: so i would like to tell you a little bit of background about myself outside of line work is i i've been involved in our, you know, as a union officer in our in our local for all but three years of my career, and the only reason why I haven't been involved the last three years is this business has gotten so busy from, from the job standpoint that I really had, didn't have the time to dedicate myself to the local. But I, I've been a union official all these years, and watching how we evolved from where we started on opposite sides of the table with, with company and and those those pieces where we were really really adversaries in the business to learning how to you know communicate together and build a partnership and those types of things so during that time that we were i say mending the fences and building a you know a a relationship with between the company and the union we were doing this piece with safety culture and human and organizational performance um on a lot of different levels, and we really started saying, hey, we need to get full-time resources doing this, so um, we proposed it to the company and said, hey, we'd like to put some full-time resources in play, and uh, they they agreed, and we started to move forward. Um, as we started, I say, trying to get knowledgeable about the things that we wanted to roll forward with, I came in contact with Know, Rob and some of the other people that are in the business through events, and uh, we just kind of struck up a friendship. You know, I say that you, have, some people, you just have that. You, know, you, you build a, a good uh, relationship with right off the bat, and and I think that was another part of it. But but out beyond that, it was really about going back and trying to do something for the people around us. So when you
1: say that you met him by going to different events, how did you, I guess, how did you discover that this was part of the information that you should be looking into?
0: Well, I think that we started going on, you know, obviously going online as a, as an organization saying, what are some conferences that we need to engage ourselves in? And the, the first conference that I met Rob at was at uh, the, the NERC conference in Atlanta, um, I watched him deliver a message there, and I remember going up to him saying, "Hey, this is exactly where we want to go. This is the the, the path that we want to you know, change the pages on. So that was a big part. James Merlot, the uh, you know, former uh, NERC vice president, he was he was another guy that we you know spent a lot of time with and same thing. and they then they asked us to come and speak and talk about our journey at consumers. And it seemed like every time we presented, I had the ability to reach out to more people at those events and it just culminated from there, I guess. So how
1: do you go back and take this to a union environment and say, this is something that you need to be looking into? How does that all of a sudden that transition start to be able to work inside of the organization, especially with the organization and the union?
0: Well, I think that one of the things that we talk about that I present on a lot as Rob presents on the pieces that he has. And this is that we present a lot on the culture and we talk a lot about what, what you have to have culturally in order to move into other avenues of human and organizational performance. Um, you have to have a strong culture and you have to have a partnership, whether it's a union environment or not. Um, but for us was really about saying that we're going to leave the stripes at the door. Um, when we talk about safety and we do anything in a safety meeting or in a safety setting, we're really saying you need to leave all your stripes at the door and you need to make sure that we're talking only about safety in this room. And, uh, I think that was probably our biggest obstacle. That sounds really easy when you talk about it like this, but it's our most difficult thing was that was trying to get people to move away from the old adversary, um, Uh, um, employee-employer-employee relationship and move into building a partnership around safety and that we all have the same goal. So as you start having the same
1: goal, how do you start implementing the actual training and the integration into the organization? And are you using it from the union perspective or is the organization using it from the organization trying to convince the union or how does this end up working out?
0: Well, what we did was, I mean, ours is pretty unique. I I always say that, I, I wouldn't say that we're the best, but it's very unique from the aspect that we have everything that we do in safety or HP or you know, organizational performance would be is completely joint. We have uh, you know if we have a, a party of eight, then we have four union, four company, and and we look at it that from that perspective to try to get a 360 view of anything that we're trying to implement. So we don't we we do nothing that's one dimensional. Okay,
1: so then how? So it's not one dimensional. So, but who start? I guess who starts the conversation? Then how does it? How does it kick off?
0: Well, I think that depending on who's leading the information that we're bringing, and we have you know company people that are going out and advocating the same way as we are from the union base. But if it's a concept that I brought back, um, which obviously um, we had talked about HP and. know human and organizational performance before but I actually started engaging myself in bringing that stuff to the table and then we started having discussions and obviously everybody starts doing their homework from there so how does how does it start
1: at the very beginning when you reference this to the organization you're bringing this into the table or to the table better saying how do they react in regards of hearing some of these concepts and philosophies
0: well I think they first they think you're crazy (laughs) <laughs> and, and they, that's that's not uncommon reaction is that they say you know you're crazy that only works in this environment or this only works in that environment and and uh, I think that part of that was is that if your culture will support that it was it was nice because even though they might not have totally agreed with what my point of view was as we brought it forward they they were still willing to listen and think about what that looked like and now i I don't think they could see themselves going any other direction
1: so as this goes forward and you start teaching these concepts and doing the training and you're able to move forward with it how do you develop the actual common language because i know that sometimes when you start getting into human and organizational performance somebody can actually take some of these methods and think of it being based on one technology opposed to another and there's kind of like a science map a scientific matter to the whole thing but also a definitions that people need to understand commonly so how does it go from the c-suite down to the line level people for them to have a common understanding
0: well i think that we you know obviously you know been working a lot with uh, rob's group uh, you know as far as trying to get a directional language for everyone put ourselves in a in a position where everybody is at least speaking the same language so that you can you can do that so the, the answer to your question from taking it from top to bottom was really going into each work area because we have we have several service centers around our our headquarters um, there's I think there's 63 or 64 locations so we basically have agreed that we're gonna go to those locations and teach from all the way from the top leadership to the frontline employee at those sites so that no matter what we do on that site, we're going to have people that are speaking the same language. I hope that answers your question.
1: Well, it, it does to an extent. Now, did you find this process to be a difficult process as it's starting to be implemented and as the deployment goes about? And I know that you're saying that you had assistance from Fisher sure, Improvement Technologies, but how does it go from a day-in, day-out interaction when you're doing it and let's say, for instance, the people that were assisting you were not there?
0: Well, I think part of it was that you you have to, you know, during that partnership, you have to say to yourself that we're going to make that commitment as a business. We we always say, you know, in the beginning, we would say we're a utility company, but now I would say we're a safety company that uh, that does utility work. And uh, I think that was part of, you know, that commitment of doing that. But also, uh, it wasn't easy, so I don't want to paint the picture that, no, okay. uh, you know, this was going to be you know, some some. Masterpiece that you were gonna go parade out. I, it was really more of a piece to say that we had a lot of difficult issues and there was a lot of uh, um, obstacles along the way with uh, naysayers. We always say we call them cave people, citizens against virtually anything.
1: So that's, <laughs> that's good, but we're gonna have to use that.
0: <laughs> it's really that's really a, that's really a common thing that you have to overcome as a business and and get yourself in the right time frame and. And I wouldn't say that we had any more resistance from uh, company people than we did um, frontline union people. We had, we had equal pushback. So there was we always say you have to win village by village. You can't um, go in and, and think that you're going to wave a wand with uh, some new technology and thought process and, and win everyone over. You have to win village by village and get yourself in a position to be successful and then move to the next village.
1: So how do the villagers react? Do they come in and when you start talking about this at the very beginning, do they turn around and say, this is the flavor of the week, give it a couple of weeks before it changes into something else?
0: Well, and I think that a lot of organizations could say that. And I think that in our, in the early part of my career, I would have told you that we had a lot of different flavors. We had more than 31. Um, we had we had a lot of things that were uh, being thrown at us, but I will tell you this, that we have, also taken that with lean manufacturing, uh, which you probably are familiar with, with, with those principles. But we basically said that we're going to build a standard for how we're going to teach uh, human and organizational performance as we have with safety culture and, and, and make that part of the DNA everywhere we go. So eventually you get the cave people to, to uh, get uh, overpowered by the people that are engaged.
1: So as you're starting to have these people be, become converts for you how do you all of a sudden get union members to become advocates and trainers is it a difficult process to get them to start being an advocate for the hop side of the house as they're trying to implement it across the board
0: i think it was a little bit challenging in some areas because some of them were afraid of what their peers reactions was going to look like when they became an advocate locally but but that you know i would say that our growing pains of that have went away just by staying steadfast to the things that we were doing, not necessarily not letting anyone veer. And that's a challenge because uh, every now and then we have to check up people, you know, whether it's company or union, we have to go check some people up to uh, remind them on that we, you know, we want to keep consistency and keep everybody going the same direction.
1: So how far down the implementation process are you currently? I mean, I know it's been implemented inside of the organization, but how, how many years are we talking that you've been involved with this now?
0: Well, I've been doing research and building this process with people in and out of the organization for a couple 3 years now. We've been on the safety culture path since 2005. So we we were probably one of the oldest in the industry of uh, of that uh Model. Um, we did that with Culture Change Consultants, uh, which is a company out of New York and California. And uh, that's, a, that's a really good organization that's helped us a lot as well. And like I said, I've been fortunate. I've been able to reach out to some of these others like Robin and some of the others in this and, and get a ton of great support to build a model for it. Because I would tell people that we probably have the most non-typical model of all the ones that are out there because we chose to make sure that our culture was stable enough to support it before we started bringing on more things.
1: And how long did you have to actually start doing the culture change before you actually started to bring in this model?
0: We just started, uh, I would say getting, we're we're just kind of on the upcast of getting into the human and organizational performance implementation now, as far as getting it company wide. But we have a lot of people that had some backgrounds uh, within the company. So And we've kind of ramped up a few areas with uh, advocates and those pieces right now. So we're really, I would say, on the ups charge of uh, laying this out right now.
1: So how would you explain to the audience members a culture change and the difficulties that are behind it for people to understand that it's not a magic bullet and it doesn't change overnight? Can you explain some of the difficulties that you and your organization went through?
0: Well, I think just getting people to understand that you have to get something that becomes important to the people around you. Culture um, is not about rules, policies, and procedures. It's about people doing the right thing when nobody's watching or doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And I think that's the hardest thing to get people to understand. And so a lot of times, even with the more difficult people is you have to find something that they value a lot. And uh, most, most times it's family or it's, or it's something like that. And you need to, drive your point around those things that are important to them so when they come to work, they see that as being the pinnacle of, of how they get better um, in their workspace, not necessarily going out there and saying, how, how many rules can you follow? Um, I'm not advocating that people don't follow rules, but they have to see value in what those rules mean.
1: And how, what would you say has been the most difficult part of the process to this point?
0: I would say taking the those um, uh, informal leaders that we talked about with, you know, with the cave people and, and finding ways to relate to them and convert them because what happens is, is that you might have a room of 50 with five of those people in it. And people would say, well, if I have 45 in the box, and those five are the only ones that are out, you'd be winning. And you are on some regards, but those are informal leaders that can influence people later, so you have to continue to go after ways to capture the people that are outside the box and uh, show them what the value is in being in the box. So I think that's, that was probably our biggest challenge that we have is just continuing to go at those. Um, and what I mean go at them is not necessarily attack them, but be, in, be more prevalent at going at the people that have Uh, disconnects with your process than than the ones that do
1: and what would you say right now has been the biggest surprise that you've had by going through this journey like that you did not expect when you first started off
0: well when i started on this journey i was one of the naysayers and i would have uh, (laughs) told you i would have told you as a lineman i would if people if you ask someone in our company uh, would you see doug hill as being an advocate for safety and they would have uh and i don't mean that i was reckless but i but i they would have said no way because I was, a, you know, I was a pretty far, I'd say far right, far left uh, president as a as a union president. I was, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So I think that I tell people if I can change, anyone can change. Um, that That's really, you know, what I try to use for a model is to say, you know, if you can make stubborn people like me change, you can make anyone change. So when you first started to do the
1: change and people were shocked and surprised about it, did they not believe you at first thought that you might be putting on just an act just to see how people would react?
0: Yeah, and I think that honestly, I thought that um, when we started this journey, even as full-time uh, positions, I think I told some of my staff as I was starting on this journey, I said, I'll be back in six months. This game will be over. They'll be playing the game for a few months and I'll be back in my regular position. So I wouldn't get too excited. Now, was there something that
1: occurred that made you start looking down the path, too, or was everything kind of copesthetic and there was just a decision made to go down this human and organizational performance side of the house?
0: I have to give our company a ton of credit. I, Our executive leadership in our company basically um, made us more and more and more comfortable in the positions that we're in, and they gave us more and more empowerment to make decisions, move ourselves forward. Uh, deal with issues within um, it to me I, I, I'd like to take credit for us as, a, as an organ, you know as a, as a union and a, a, a culture team but I, I really believe that the organization just finally realizing that if you empower the people around them in the workforce that they're gonna you know get great results.
1: So Douglas, if people wanted to contact you and really find out some more information that you might be able to give them some general direction, what would be the best way to them to be able to reach out to you?
0: They could email me. That'd be just fine. <laughs> or, or they can call me. Then I'm good with that. I uh, I tell people that I wouldn't necessarily want to broadcast my telephone number, but I'd be glad to give them a, an email address for them to reach out to me.
1: Now, are they able to reach you on LinkedIn or anything to that extent?
0: I, I am on LinkedIn. That's correct. Okay.
1: So maybe we can actually tell them to go that direction. That may be a good start, opposed to you broadcasting your phone number,
0: right? Sure. And I think that as and you know, as uh, as an advocate and uh, you know people to benchmark with, we you know we we welcome the fact of trying to benchmark with people that might not look like us and uh, might be in a different place on their journey. Because I think that not only would we be able to help them, but I think that a lot of times we learn some things about. Um, what those organizations are going through on different levels that we might not have noticed.
1: Douglas, I do appreciate you coming on today.
0: I appreciate you having me. This was great. The countdown has begun. Find
1: out only on Safety evidence.